From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. Midterm election years can sometimes suffer from a drop-off in voting participation. If that is the case in 2018, it won't be because there is a lack of money uh, being spent on this election. And here to break down exactly where this money is going, how much is being raised, and who is raising it are our two political correspondents at Roll Call, uh, Simone Pathé and Bridget Bowman. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Simone, your story in Roll Call on Tuesday morning was about uh, how there are, you've noticed that a number of House Democratic candidates are, are raising money that you previously only saw sometimes in, in Senate candidates. You, you don't need to raise as much money theoretically uh, for a House race, but uh, as opposed to a statewide run. But you've noticed that this, is, uh, this seems to be a sort of a trend. Yeah, and this is not the first quarter that we have seen House Democratic candidates raising so much money. I mean, we've seen close to a million dollars, a little bit over a million dollars, but this quarter really stood out to us. Mm -hmm. Um, The candidate I focused on was Mikey Sherrill in New Jersey's 11th district. She raised almost $1.9 million. (laughs) That's just astounding for right. a house race. <laughs> right. And 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 let's let's talk about her race too. Like what what has uh, yeah. what are some of the dynamics <clears> of <throat> opponents as well as the geography because it mm-hmm. always sort of gets into, you know, why she may have raised this sort of boatload yes. of cash. So this is a suburban relatively affluent district outside of New York City happens to be where I'm from. Um, <laughs> north <laughs> no of, New Jersey pride north at all. North of 195 <laughs> or as as uh, as we were discussing right before this is uh, Taylor Ham character territory. Indeed, this is indeed. what people call this. Call it a Taylor Ham sandwich. And right it's right. not it, a pork roll. <laughs> not a pork roll. It's longtime Republican territory. Mm-hmm. This is Rodney Freelingheisen's seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, of course, is not seeking re-election, so it is now an open seat. Um, she's facing Republican Jay Weber, a state legislature who has gotten some uh, recognition from the National Party so far, but um, he has been running, frankly, a lot less time than mm-hmm. Cheryl has because she was originally challenging Freelingheisen. Um, and she needs that money because mm-hmm. this is the New York City media market. So okay. it's conceivable that, um, you know, her race could be more expensive than, let's say, Joe Manchin's entire statewide race right. because of the, the market in which she has to compete. Right. I mean, uh, Manchin has has uh, several different TV markets that if he wants mm-hmm. to to play on the airwaves there, I mean, he, you know, he might have to buy in, in say, Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, P- the Pittsburgh media market. Uh, but this is not New York City. And and Jersey kind of gets it at, at both ends, too, right? Yes. Because if you're running Philly in North, if you're running in Taylor Ham territory, mm-hmm. you have to deal with New York <laughs> mar- markets. Yes. If you're running in pork roll territory, you have to deal with Philadelphia media markets. Yes. So like you're, you're kind of, it's an expensive proposition regardless. It is. And so not only does she start with probably a more cash flush donor base mm-hmm. in Morris County, um, Somerset, you know, parts of, of this 11th district, but a lot of fundraising consultants told me this is also a sign that DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, is doing its job. It's connecting mm-hmm. candidates, at least it's red to blue candidates, it's so-called favored candidates, to donors. And so this is obviously often a knock on candidates that, oh, you're raising money from out of state. Well, you have to at some point because there's just not enough people to tap mm-hmm. to get the amount of money that you need, especially for someone like Cheryl. Um, so what they do is they connect you as a candidate with their big top dollar donors, whether they're from California or New York or whatever the stereotype or is. Or Nebraska. Or yeah, Nebraska. Yeah, who knows? Who's to judge? Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think one of the things that sort of stuck out, so we've seen like this surge of Democratic candidate fundraising throughout this cycle. And just to kind of take a step back, like why does this matter? Mm-hmm. Obviously money matters in campaigns, but for specific candidates to have a good amount of money in their own campaign makes a difference. And this gets kind of wonky, but they get better rates on television ads. Right. So like in the pet special election in Pennsylvania 18th district, you saw all this outside money being spent about against Connor Lamb, but because he had raised a bunch of money on its own, he was able to match them on television. So he could spend half as much as like an outside group has to spend on a right. TV ad. So that's sort of why this all matters, why these huge fundraising numbers for Democrats could make a difference. And also, I mean, when we when you're talking about an open seat race, or you're talking about, um, you know, th- this this is sort of shaping up. It seems as one of those elections where we're going to see a, a, a fairly big generational change. I mean, a lot of people are running who we'd never heard of uh, mm-hmm. last month, like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, <laughs> just as Joe Crowley. He's heard of her now, uh, and and so has the rest <laughs> of the world. Um, but I mean, th- it takes money, you know, in in, in a lot of cases. Um, especially if you're in a saturated kind of media environment to break through. I mean, that's not the only you know way that you measure success, but it, but it certainly helps in introducing yourself to voters who who might be you know on the other side of the district or not from the town where you're a select woman or whatever the you know the the sort of the political or office or platform was. Yeah, at the end of the day, money does translate to communication, really, in terms of, you know, campaign dollars. That's what we're looking to see is can you communicate with voters? And whether that's on TV or direct mail is still a big component of campaigns or even field programs. You know, going back to Cheryl, knowing this district well, I know how conservative it can be. And she really has to pound the pavement and um, let people know that she is going to be a different kind of Democrat, that she's not going to vote for Pelosi, that she can represent a, a red district. And, and Rodney Freelingheisen, I mean, it, maybe a lot of people inside the Beltway haven't heard him of him so much, but there has been a Freelingheisen <laughs> associated with the yes. United States government or Congress dating back to before the Revolutionary War. Yes. I mean, and, and so, you know, like it may not mean as much to, to somebody who's sort of casually tuning in uh, at, uh, but likes politics mm-hmm. as somebody uh, who actually is from the district and they have seen the name Freelingheisen, <laughs> uh, you know, over and over and over again for generations. Right, yeah. right. So how are the Republican candidates? I mean, you mentioned Weber, uh, Cheryl's op- opponent in, in New Jersey for the for this open seat. Like what are what are his and people like him? What are what are as a point of comparison? How what are they doing in terms of their fundraising? Yeah, so they're definitely raising less money, I'd say, in general. Um, I think the statistic is 54, slightly over 50 Republican incumbents were actually outraised by Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should say it's not just folks like Cheryl who are in affluent districts or necessarily creme de la creme candidates. It's, it's people all across the country, I found folks just looking at those who have raised uh, $1.1 million or more in the second quarter. A lot of folks in California, not necessarily in the toniest districts either, mm-hmm. folks in Texas, in Kentucky. One common theme among some of them is that they have produced these viral ads mm-hmm. that we've talked a lot about before. In, in, in your story, you mentioned MJ Hager. Yes. Uh, her, her ad. Let's talk a little bit about that, that race. Yeah, that. I'll, I'll deflect to Bridget <laughs> oh, here to okay. talk about that because okay. she's the Texas yeah. expert. Okay. Uh, so she is taking on Republican Congressman John Carter in mm-hmm. the 31st district, and it's a pretty heavily Republican district. It mm-hmm. was one that 
isn't really wasn't really on the map for Democrats. Um, but she produced this this a couple minute long. It's a video. It's not right. something she's put on TV, but it's something that they could spread online. I hear um, that the internet can do amazing things. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, well, she this video is is pretty compelling. She's a veteran and and talks. It's called Doors and has talked about all the doors that were being closed in front of her as a woman as a veteran. The crash. Two army helicopters rescued us from the wreckage. I strapped myself to the skids and returned fire on the Taliban while we flew to safety. That got me a purple heart and I became the second woman ever awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross with Valor. But after that, the door closed. Injured and unable to fly, I was barred from my next career choice because I was a woman. Um, so it, it led to this boost in fundraising that we saw from her. And she was one of those top candidates that raised a ton of money this last quarter. Yeah. And Amy McGrath, Randy Bryce, mm-hmm. both of those candidates have benefited mm-hmm. from similar types of videos. Mm-hmm. And McGrath is also another veteran, uh, correct? She is. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I mean, so, so you're starting to see sort of themes that, I mean, you've got a, a candidate with a good resume, mm-hmm. then they come out with a good uh, video, mm-hmm. and then the fundraising follows. And and then maybe they hope to catch somebody like John Carter in Texas or Andy Barr in mm-hmm. Kentucky a little asleep. Although if you're a member of Congress, Democrat or Republican, and you're not paying attention to the fact that there's a lot going on right now, <laughs> uh, and you might want to pay attention to your race. So, uh, so Bridget, let's transition a little bit to talk about your your story about primaries, you know, and and candidates who might have had like some, you know, pretty expensive or, or particularly contentious, nasty primaries, you might say, uh, to uh, to replenish those. I mean, you're, you're working on the story. Well, what, what are you finding with that? Sure. Um, so that was one of the questions going into this cycle. And we saw this surge of Democrats running for the House. Was was it going to create really crowded primaries that was going to cost a lot of money? which could weaken the eventual nominee, meaning they don't have a lot of money left to actually spend on the general election. Over the past couple of months, we've had a bunch of primaries already pass, especially in the last two months or so. Um, so I was looking at, were they able to kind of start to rebuild that campaign war chest? Mm-hmm. And the short answer, if you're a Democrat, is yes. Uh, so looking, comparing their pre-primary report cash on hand to their end of the most recent quarter cash on hand, typically Democrats tended to double that number. These are for Democratic, double. yes. Uh, these are for Democratic nominees who won their primary, who are in competitive general election uh, contests, who also had to spend six figures or more on their primary. So I was really like focusing on this ended up being like 30 people. Only three of them ended up with less money than they had before the primary, and those were people who were in later primaries. That was a pretty significant increase, I'm sure, is reassuring to Democrats who are worried about this. Um, it is notable in some of these cases, they a couple outside groups like Swing Left had have these district funds that they were building up and were and gave to the eventual nominee. So that fund isn't always going to be there. But for the most part, most of these donations are individual donations. And Democrats see that as a sign of energy, that it's going to continue even past these primaries. Now, are we, we're, we're kind of, we're past the, the, the midway point of all the primaries. We still have some fairly high profile, uh, particularly Senate primaries in Arizona. There's one mm-hmm. on the Republican side. Uh, between Joe Arpaio and 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 Kelly Ward and what's with uh, uh, and Martha yeah. McSally, uh, uh, and so I mean that that has the potential to be to kind of drain a lot of resources from yes. the Republican nominee and the Democrat in this case, uh, Kirsten Cinema, really has for the most part a free ride. She can just kind of bank mm-hmm. <laughs> all this. 
What are the what are some of the other late primaries that could really have an effect? Because I mean, if you know, if you're in a if, if you're in a Texas primary, I mean, you've had since March to rebuild mm-hmm. your your primary, you know, your 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 election coffers after the primary. What are some of the, the other states besides Arizona where this might come into play for some marquee races where people don't have a lot of time to raise money for the general? Yeah. Um, on the Senate side, we're still looking at Wisconsin. We don't have a Republican nominee there yet. That primary, I believe, is August 14th. So that is also kind of later. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside groups are already spending a lot of money in that race. So mm-hmm. we'll see what who the eventual nominee is and and what kind of money they have there. Um, mm-hmm. Florida yeah. is yeah. late as in August. Right. New Hampshire is actually in September. Wow. Um, there's no Senate race this year, but of course that first district is an open seat. Right. Pretty crowded fields on both sides. Right. And this is the, yeah, this is where Carol Shapewater yes. is, is retiring. And mm-hmm. and that seat has a history of uh, flipping back and forth. Every two years. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I just, I mean, I wonder like what, What's happened? I mean, obviously the economy recovered, you know, which which helps. Uh, it, it it helps in terms of like everybody is able to like raise money or donate money in in ways. But what are what do you what do you think is behind this big push? Because the I mean, thinking back to twenty fourteen, there's always a lot of money in in politics, uh, but this does seem extraordinary. What's going on? Yeah, I was just talking about that with somebody with a source with the Susan Wilde campaign. She's a Democrat who's running in Pennsylvania's, the new number is the seventh district, mm-hmm. um, which is the open seat for Republican Charlie Dent, who's mm-hmm. uh, left Congress. Allentown area. Right. Yeah. Uh, her percentage wise, she had the by far the biggest increase from her pre-primary report to the second quarter. She has about 10 times more money wow. now than she did at, like a couple of weeks before the primary. Uh, so I was like, what what's going on with that? And it sort of seems like just a combination of a bunch of things, increased grassroots energy, lots of small online donations, help from groups. She's been endorsed by Emily's List, so helped connecting with donors in D.C. and elsewhere. Um, She also got an influx of money from this group called the House Victory Project, which is a group of big Democratic donors that are playing in several races. Um, So kind of just this, it's not really one thing. It seems like it's just a combination of a bunch of different factors. Yeah. And I think bigger picture, we've seen this in various aspects of roll calls reporting is that since President Trump was elected, there's just so much more attention on Congress. I mean, we see it in the halls of the Capitol, the Mm -hmm. congestion and number of reporters, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the interest among um, media consuming individuals and the electorate at large in terms of playing a role in this election, regardless of which side you're on or where you're from, Mm -hmm. has changed dramatically in the past year and a half. The swamp is refilling up. <laughs> it's been it's got a fresh supply of of, of greenery uh, to to keep it uh, healthy. Uh, we mentioned Randy Bryce a little earlier. He's running for the open seat that Paul Ryan has created, Speaker of the House, um, and he has he was one of the first indications that there was going to be uh, you know a lot of interest in in House races. I mean, he raised a lot of money, uh, particularly from out of state donors, and and he but he has a fight on his hands with somebody who isn't necessarily raising as much money as him, but like is. You know, it seems to be giving him quite a race uh, in in Wisconsin for the for the Democratic nod. What's going on in that race? Yep, that primary is coming up. So he is facing uh, a Janesville school board member, I believe, um, Kathy Myers, and she's raised a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like she mm-hmm. hasn't raised no money, right? Um, but but she, just compared to Bryce, oh yeah, millions, for sure, you know, yeah, from. Um, and but she Bryce has also been kind of dogged lately by some media reports about 
prior arrests and things like that. Um, so he's still he's there's going to be a fight there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's making the argument that she is the better candidate for the general election, mm-hmm. that the Republican will be able to use some of these reports that have been out there against Bryce in the general. We've been primarily talking about the second quarter numbers. We've got another quarter uh, that will take us all, almost all the way up to the general election. September 30th is when the third quarter ends. Uh, Bridget Simone, what are you going to be looking at uh, in, in this run-up for, you know, what, are, what other trends do you think you're going to be drawn toward as you, you know, approach November? Well, I'm curious to see after such huge hauls from Democratic House candidates this quarter, will they be able to sustain that or maybe even surpass that in the third quarter? Or will there be the drop off that we've been expecting to see? Will that happen before the general? And it'll it'll also be interesting to look at the cash on hand numbers. So how much these candidates have in the bank going into the final stretch. Uh, Republican incumbents tend to just have more money and have an advantage there. But will Democrats be able to close the the gap uh, by raising all this money? Well, I really appreciate you guys taking us through this. Uh, you know, we kind of joke about journalism that we were told there would be no math, and, and it's, <laughs> this is a lot of math to process. Uh, but this is where, you know, a lot of the election is going to turn. So thank you so much for, for all the good work you're doing. Thank, thank you. you. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please take a few moments to rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, including the ones that Bridget and Simone and I have been talking about and all of their work, you can visit RollCall.com and find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thank you for listening.